0: Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out about all our work and all the research we've been publishing all summer, and about our transparency work and ongoing litigation um, to through the Freedom of Information Act and open records laws we are filing around the country now at chicagojustice.org. There you will find two reports recently on Superintendent David Brown about his hidden suspension, that the mayor and the police board and David Brown himself covered up and did not let the public know about before he was confirmed or ever until we uncovered it and also about who who knew about that suspension. There's plenty of other research on there for you to look at. Please enjoy it. Take a view at chicagojustice.org. Today, we talk with Dr. Dave Olson, co-director of the Center on Criminal Justice Research Policy and Practice. And we're talking to Dr. Olson. It's the second time on our show because in July 2020, research brief that he published titled arrests in Illinois for illegal possession of a firearm examining the characteristics and trends in arrests for illegal possession of a firearm within the context of crimes involving guns you're going to be amazed at what they were able to uncover this report as I've said uh, numerous times on the show shows why academic research is so much more thorough rigorous and valid and valued than media reporting or much of media reporting, not all the time, but certainly on crime and violence issues in Chicago, academic research trumps it almost every single time. The research from Dr. Olson provides, um, a really unbelievable view and just how much propaganda and lies have gone into gun possession. The, the, um arrest and prosecution and uh, sentencing around gun possession and um, so even in so much into the language of what they're calling the actual laws and the law that you violated and the terminology used there that are current that are just pure propaganda and you will notice that this contradicts anything you have heard from the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, Superintendent David Brown, their propaganda and lies on this issue. Also, Rahm Emanuel, by the way, let's, not, let's go back to him, at least, maybe even daily. And it contradicts what you hear from Alderman Lopez. He tweets all the time, all, I shouldn't say all, but mostly, especially on these issues, just completely wrong. And then you're going, looking at um, Alderman Spisato, Alderman Nalapolitano, all crap Ola on this issue. This research is going to um, contradict that with empirical Research and analysis, not propaganda, not white man, Trumpyism, I know isms, but research, data and analysis. And it's also going to trump all the stuff that you hear from Paul Ballas, who's been on the show a couple of times, the propaganda and lies and political exploitation that goes on in his Facebook posts and his Twitter posts. And he doesn't answer. He doesn't take challenges. He doesn't. He just posts and then doesn't take challenges, doesn't want to explain it as. You will hear direct contradiction to the things you are hearing from this group of people through empirical analysis empirical valid rigorous research so chicago is obviously not known for but before we get to our interview with david olson i want to talk to you about cjp nation you can get it at cjpnation.org and that'll take you to the website we are showing on our show. For the podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to our podcast version of the show, all our images and videos from this, the shows appear on our website when the post to post the podcast is um, put up. You go to cjpnation.org and you will get information about crowdsource research projects, social media activism, public policy advocacy. If you want to help out fundraising, we'll even take help in that area. Um, but you can do any of this they're crowdsource research projects and crowdsource work through volunteers and um interns and we have many many people still involved so go to cjpnation.org and uh, you can or you can go to chicagojustice.org our main website go click on get involved and you can fill out an application to either get an internship or get involved as a volunteer and uh, laura and Meredith, who are running our program now, the CJP Nation program. Um, they will get in touch and get you involved. We're doing a lot around public policy advocacy, best practices, transparency, FOIA work, freedom of information work, uh, data work, and crowdsource research projects. Social media activism, we, it runs the gamut. So if you're, invo- if you're interested, cjpnation.org. Um, every other Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we meet every other Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central talk about projects. Um, and if you, um, contact us through cjpnation.org, our regular website, chicagojustice.org, we'll get you information. Okay. I am going to jump now to our one and only segment for today's show. It's an interview with Dr. Dave Olson. Um, and we will go in depth with some of the stuff he finds and it's not stuff you ever hear in the media. And if you think when you see this, you are seeing it for the first time. This, Research brief got published, I think on July 1st of 2020. Ask yourself if you read the Tribune, if you read the Sun Times, if you watch CBS2, NBC5, ABC7, WGN9, or Fox 32, why you haven't heard this before. Any loudmouth spouting on about social media or alderman or politician who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about and has no data to back up anything they're saying, the damn media will run to them. Here's empirical rigorous research. On this topic, statewide, by the way, crickets, crickets. We shouldn't have to be the main source for this. If we are, they have failed on their jobs. This is just another example of them failing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to jump to the interview. It runs just under 30 minutes, and then I'll come back, discuss a little bit, wrap up. Um, So I'll see you in 30 minutes. Dr. Dave Olson, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, this is, he's been on the show before. This is Dr. Dave Olson. He's co-director of the Center for Criminal Justice Research Policy and Practice at Loyola University, Chicago's Criminal Justice and Criminology Department. This is a research brief we're going to be talking about that they published in July of 2020, titled Arrests in Illinois for Illegal Possession of a Firearm, Examining the Characteristic and Trends in Arrests for Illegal Possession of a Firearm within the Context of Crimes Involving Guns. Once again, this is another example. I know the media has gotten shredded by their owners and there's not many much of them out there, but if you wanna talk about why it's so important to have academic research and not rely on police reporters or cop reporters or what, crime reporters, whatever the hell they call themselves now, this is a perfect example because we're gonna get context about these issues um, from a statewide perspective that you just don't get in the media. So unlawful use of a weapon covers a lot of things So you look specifically at gun possession, but what other parts of this around this law are there when um, we see in the media uh, gun crimes? What does that actually mean? And what did you look at in this report?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the important things to to distinguish that that we were trying to do is just get a better understanding of what are the characteristics of people charged with what's broadly called illegal gun possession or unlawful use of a weapon um, in part because the people arrested for those offenses oftentimes get conflated with people who are arrested for uh, committing murder with a gun or committing an aggravated battery with a firearm. So uh, despite the, the the term unlawful use of a weapon, uh, these offenses do not involve the use of a weapon in the commission of a violent crime. Uh, it's primarily people who are illegally in possession of a gun or illegally carrying a firearm, firearm on them uh, without the required a concealed carry permit.
0: Right. So remember that, ladies and gentlemen, UUW, unlawful use of a weapon, they can, the, the, the politicians, policymakers, they purposely name, um, there's a word choice specifically being done to name the laws, right, and name the bills. We've, and those weapons are usually propaganda terms, either for good or bad, to make it more attractive to the public and the media to back the policy. Um, and there may be um, little relation to what it's the the what the name of the bill actually is to what it actually does. Right. So, all right. So while the media and politicians try to equate or related the gun crimes is always violent. If I read the stats right, seven and ten arrests in Illinois are actually for possession solely. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Right. So also to add to to what you just mentioned, uh, if you if you possess a loaded, accessible firearm, and you do not have a license to do so. It's called aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. So it's it's, it's terminology that's even more more frightening or concerning. Um, again, part of what we want to do is there's this, this discussion about gun crimes and violent gun offenders. Um, and until you really start thinking about, well, what are the people being arrested for? Um, and what does their background look like? Can we get to a point of understanding whether or not it's using a gun in the commission of a violent crime. So what we did was we looked at everybody arrested in Illinois uh, for a crime that somehow involved a firearm, either the illegal possession of a firearm or the use of a firearm during the commission of a violent crime. Uh, And what we found was the vast majority of arrests are for the illegal possession of a gun, uh, not for using a gun in the commission of a violent crime. And, And it's important because when people conflate these and we hear about in quote, a violent gun offender being arrested, uh, oftentimes the public assumes it was someone who used a gun to commit a murder, Uh, when in reality, um, most likely it's somebody who was arrested for illegally possessing a gun. Uh, We don't necessarily know what their motives were for possessing that gun. Uh, Research suggests that people who illegally possess a gun do so for the exact same reasons as do people who legally have a concealed carry permit, and that's uh, out of fear of victimization and and for self protection.
0: Right, and that's there's a lot of um, propaganda, I would say, and it started under Rom, and it's always been an issue in Chicago. But I think Rom ramped it up. There was a report from, which I think it was just horrible, from the Chicago Crime Lab, and was backing mandatory minimums for gun crimes. Uh, which in, in my reflection, I remember talking to Don Steeman from your department about it, it just had no, um, was not based in any academic um, research methodology that was legitimate in our, at least in my perspective. Um, and in this, this rhetoric has continued with Mayor Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown. We have, and we're gonna st- hopefully hear next week, we have a bunch of times in the media when they're calling, uh, criticizing bail reforms and judges, and then unable to provide any statistics to back up their criticisms, which I find hilarious, the Chicago Police Department's a $1.7 billion agency. You would think somewhere in that money they'd be able to have a, someone like you go through the data and prove that bail reform or bond reform or light sentences from judges are causing this huge uptick in crime. Um, the fact that they can't bring that to the table shows me that it's just not there, and this is more propaganda than it is reality. But to me, it's 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 dangerous because it's leading to this great push, and I think that rhetoric is what's driven um, to this now new movement by the mayor to sue gang members. I think this is just the next step in that. Yeah. Uh, it's frustrating. Okay, starting in 2014, possession of arrest started to increase dramatically, from under 6k a year to over 9k a year. Can you talk a little bit about that finding?
1: Yeah, so the you know, p- part of what we we sensed or that we saw was that arrests for these offenses were were going up. And so part of what we want to do is look to see is that actually the case and what may be driving it or what may be influencing it. Um, What we found was it wasn't necessarily unique to Chicago. Um, It seems as though in a number of large cities in the state, arrests for illegal gun possession had gone up. Um, and, And some think it may be connected or tied to when Illinois legalized or allowed people to get a a permit to carry a concealed weapon. um, This might have just been kind of a a trickle down impact of that, that if if more people are legally carrying guns, the police may be looking for it more, um, or it might just be be seen as a different approach. Um, I know that in in Chicago, in the communities where most of these um, arrests for illegal gun possession are being made, they're also the communities that have the highest rates of gun violence. And so in some people's view, well, the police are in those communities uh, going after the people that they think are driving the violence. Um, th- the challenge is that they're not arresting people for the murders and the shootings. They're arresting people for illegally possessing the gun and, and making an assumption that, well, they must be the ones driving, uh, driving the violence. So uh, it, it's pretty clear to us that the increase in arrests more likely reflects a change in focus as a change in the actual behavior of of illegally carrying guns. Just like in the late 80s early 90s we saw an enormous increase in arrests for drug possession when all the objective uh, data and evidence suggested that drug use was actually on the decline. So it was really just a shift in their in their focus and their priority and we suspect that that's that's kind of what we're seeing here. Um, And then obviously once they make the arrests all those cases matriculate into the system. So in addition to the report that you referenced that we put out in, in July of 2020, uh, this past summer, we put out a report that looks at the sentences imposed on people convicted of these offenses. And, and to your point about mandatory minimums, um, you know, as a result of some of these changes, people being sentenced in Cook County um, have been very likely, in, in most instances, guaranteed of receiving a prison sentence um outside of cook county it doesn't seem to be that case right so uh, it's an example i think of where the state policy for mandatory minimums and things like that uh, has been applied a lot in cook county um in other words prosecutors at different points in time have taken advantage of that outside of cook county it doesn't seem to have changed much Uh, most people outside of cook county who are arrested for these offenses are not being sentenced to prison
0: yeah and that's that's been the issue. I remember in kind of the reverse fashion when George Ryan had his death penalty commission and they studied death penalty. I had one of them on a radio show I did at Loyola at the time. Can't remember the, the researchers' names, but they found the exact opposite, which was um, death penalties were being handed down throughout the state for much less heinous crimes than they were in Cook County because. Homicides were so more, com- so much more common here. They would right. be vir- virtually sentencing everyone to yeah. the death penalty. Um, so it's interesting that gun crimes it's reversed here. Yeah. Um, so why do you think so? I guess it's well. Let me get to this. There was obviously uh, disparities. You looked at, and this is one of the issues around disparities that I wanted to talk to you about. Arrest disparities for male eighteen to 24, 18 to twenty four years old in Chicago. Blacks, 3,200 per 100,000 had been arrested, if I get the stat right. Latinos, around 1,100 per 100,000. White males, 307 per 100,000. Is that strictly due to racism? How much of that is related to um, what I would say poverty driven crime in in urban areas in Chicago on the south and west sides. And everyone hears that they're going to say, well, I'm saying the poor do it or I'm saying blacks are so much more violent. I am not. I'm saying there's a set of circumstances driving people that are in some communities to commit more street violence than others. Mm -hmm. Um, is what is your view on those numbers? Because I think it's hard to get a when, when people want to talk about it, it's hard, hard to have a serious conversation about it without seeming like, right, especially two white guys, as we are, that we're being
1: racist. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, w- what we found was that the population being arrested for these offenses is primarily African-American men between 18 and 25 um, in specific communities. Um, those are the same communities where there tends to be high rates of crime and violence and as a result, those tend to be the communities where there is a large concentration of policing activity. Um, and so, I think what the the disparate nature of the arrests reflects is primarily where the police resources are, um, and what the police officers are focusing their their energies on. Um, it's, it's it's again it's the same kind of thing with with the war on drugs. We saw primarily black men between eighteen and twenty four being arrested for it even though we know that drug use and, and drug behavior was, was much more equally distributed, but it was where are the police to detect those illegal activities? Um, and so you know, I, I think that the the, the disparity in, in terms of race and, and uh, demographics, I don't wanna say it's racist policies by the police, the police are in the communities where most people expect them to be. Um, and they're engaging in patrol and investigative activities, it's under uncovering illegal activity. Um, I think the the biggest concern or question is, so we've identified somebody who's breaking the law um, by illegally carrying a firearm, what's the appropriate response? Um, And I think that's where we need to have a a better conversation because the knee-jerk response is, we need to send them to prison uh, because they're dangerous, and we need to deter them, without determining are they actually dangerous? Um, Are they carrying a gun because they intend to commit violent crime? Or are they carrying a gun for the exact same reasons that someone in another part of the state's doing it with a different demographic profile, uh, but who's willing to go through the process of applying for a permit, paying for the permit, subjecting themselves to a background check by the police to get the permit? or are they just going to carry the gun for, for self protection and forego all those those steps? So, um.
0: it's been a very interesting thing um, for me in that I have always said that the policies and practices we have now, criminal justice system, or that we've had ten years ago, or fifteen years ago, or twenty years ago, are one of the causes of why we have the circumstances that we do in these communities now. And it doesn't mean, I'm not saying all police are bad or every po- police policy is bad, it's not, but their activities have consequences. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. And I'm, I'm quite tired of, and I know this is why partly why Mayor Lightfoot has got this, we're gonna sue the gang members, It's this general idea that we have to do whatever we can right now to bring numbers down. Mm -hmm. And we'll always forego the long-term consequences of things, right? right? We are, I mean, obviously we're a society, um, doesn't like long-term solutions to things, which is why I'm sitting in DC and they arrested a guy at the Democratic National Headquarters here today in a pickup truck with a hatchet and a bayonet out in front of their headquarters Mm -hmm. because we don't like dealing with problems. And like, we're all on edge about what's coming to us in four days. Yay, good time to move to DC. Let me tell you, it's Mm -hmm. been a good couple of years here. Um, Okay, I want to read some of, I want to get to a couple more stats, but I want to read some of the report. So 25% of those arrested with various gun crimes examined had a prior conviction for a violent crime. And I know you've talked about this, and I want to read this quote. Significantly, while most of those arrested for gun crimes had been previously arrested, a substantial portion had never been previously convicted of a crime, and the vast majority had not been convicted of a violent crime. That is something you will not see in the media because we have switched now to everyone possessing a gun is a is an imminent threat to use it and is a violent offender. We, I think, there could be an argument made. This like, no, this guy has been arrested twice for serious violence, and now we have him. Uh, we caught him with a gun, and maybe gun violence on top of it. Maybe there should be a discussion. I don't know how it would come down right now that he may not, he should not get bail. Mm-hmm. or we should consider him a violent uh, felon. But I think we've switched to now, no no matter what their background, anyone caught with a gun should be treated equally to someone who's got a long history of violence, like they are these imminent threats. Does the research bear that out?
1: No. Um, I mean, in the research that we just completed, we looked at what factors predict who who goes on to commit violent crime. Um, It's people with Prior histories of violence, not, not people with prior histories of carrying guns illegally. Right. So so just from a, a, a purely objective standpoint, your, your history of illegal gun possession doesn't indicate what your future likelihood is in terms of violence. But your your history of violence doesn't it it obviously makes sense, <laughs> right? But but to your point, I think everybody equates that if you illegally possess a gun, especially when we describe that behavior as aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. Um, and you're a young black man, uh, the assumption is, well, you're only going to be using it for illegal purposes. You're only going to be using it to commit violent crime. Um, When I think most of the research would suggest that they have an objectively higher likelihood of victimization and therefore a stronger justification for carrying a gun for self-protection than many of the residents in suburban Cook County or in, in more rural parts of the state. Um, It's just they either aren't old enough to get a permit, uh, or aren't willing to go through the process and cost of doing that. Um, So, um, it it is, I mean, that's really what we're trying to do in this research is make not only the public but practitioners and policymakers recognize it's a lot more nuanced than assuming that if you illegally possess a gun, you're a violent person and need to be responded to as though you've just committed a murder. Uh, there are plenty of people that we looked at in our study that they'd never before been arrested for a crime. Uh, this was the first time they'd ever been arrested um, and there's a there's a lot of pushback that we've gotten well you know just because you're you're arrested and not convicted doesn't mean that you didn't do it right that you didn't commit that prior violent crime the, the way our system is structured though is we don't base decisions on things we suspect right that, that you might have done in the past if if we're doing a pretrial risk assessment, we look at have you been found guilty before of a violent crime, not did someone allege that you did and it was never proven in court or the victim decided that it wasn't worth pursuing or the victim, you know, recanted their, their, their testimonies. So.
0: Another aggravation point. Kim Fox comes out a while back, a few months ago, and they held a webinar to teach journalists how to use the data they have on their portal for stories. And one of the things they they kind of mimicked your report and saying, hey, gun possession arrests skyrocketed since around 2013 or 14. That's probably the same you have. But then they also said something that was fascinating. You mentioned in your report too. The rate at which the CPD clears cases, supposedly solves them or knows who did it for shootings has declined during this time. Mm -hmm. And no one seems bothered by that. Wait a minute, it's much easier for you all to just stop as many people as possible and frisk them and try to find a weapon than it is to actually go out and solve crimes. When what we really need you to do, at least up until 14, from the history of Chicago through about 2013, 14, it was the goal of the police department to get the shooters, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not get gun possessors. And ladies and gentlemen, gun possessors with no record have been getting light sentences or or having their cases tossed forever in Cook County. This is just the way, and the judges knew, wait a minute, clean record? They get them a clean record? Um, no violence, no record, but you're carrying a gun. Yeah, I need it for protection. This is not something necessarily new um, to it, but I got aggravated by the mayor's comments and the chief of police's comments and some of the um, more conservative elements of Chicago, some of the conservative them, oh my God, Kim Fox is being awful. It's like, wait a minute, there's an objective fact that she put out with data. The police department should be able to refute it. The fact that the mayor and the police department didn't refute it with data means she's most likely right. (laughs) <laughs> and what does that say about a criminal justice system that is, especially a police department, that is centered on arresting gun possessors, um, and I'm going to quote a stat here, 11 possess, 11% of the gun possession charges included an additional violent charge, meaning most possession arrests, 89% are not related to violence. What does that say when a police department is so centered on getting possessors of illegal weapons and not the shooters?
1: Yeah, and it. it, it and again, it gets to your point earlier about short-term versus long-term solutions. I think in the short run, the police can show, look, we're we're doing something in quotes about the gun violence problem by arresting people illegally possessing a gun. And to your point, those are those arrests are a lot easier to make than it is to solve a shooting or a homicide with with no witnesses. Um, and so, in the short run, they're they're able to show some some productivity. And I think they also believe, and many people would would assume that, well. Granted, we weren't able to prove this person committed a shooting or a murder, but the fact that they're illegally carrying a gun at least puts them one step closer to engaging in that. And if we can apprehend them and incapacitate them for a period, perhaps that will have an impact. The the problem is it's casting a really big net um, and subjecting a lot of people to uh, incarceration if if that's the goal. And in, in a way to kind of you know, draw an analogy to the war on drugs in the late 80s and early 90s was we wanted to get drug dealers. Um, We cast a really wide net and got a lot of drug possessors. And at the time, the argument was, yes, we caught them in possession of a drug, but they were also likely going to sell it. And so, you know, we, we couldn't find the kingpins, but let's assume out of all these people getting arrested for possession, in there are some of the bigger fish. We just can't figure out who's who, so we'll treat them all the same. And that was really the case in Cook County, where if you were convicted of illegally possessing a gun, um, even if it was your first offense, you were sentenced to prison. Um, And it really wasn't until recent years, uh, a combination, I think, of Kim Fox's readjusting that approach, but also a a modification to the state law that allows probation to be given for 18 to 20-year-olds um, that we saw a drop in the likelihood of going to prison in Cook County uh, for, for gun possession. The caveat I'll give you is, despite the, the drop, if you get convicted of that crime in Cook County, you're more likely to go to prison than you are in the rest of the state. So uh, uh, the way you could spin it, if you were into spinning things, is Kim Fox is still a more punitive prosecutor when it comes to gun possession uh, than prosecutors in the rest of the state. Um, she's just exercise a little discretion to say, look, for these 18 to 20 year olds that have no prior convictions, what do we really gain by sending them to prison? Um, and, and what do we potentially have to lose in terms of the impact that has?
0: Yeah, and I agree. What do we have to lose? We have to lose with breaking their family relationship, losing them a job, losing them an apartment, and maybe maybe setting up the stage where they're most likely to be a criminal justice system involved for the rest of their lives. Right. And I don't think people understand that when you catch someone 35 or 40, the reason they're there, or at least a, um, a contributing factor to why they was there is what happened to them when they were 18 or 20 on smaller things.
1: Right. Especially uh, if we don't do something to address why were they carrying the gun in the first place? And if, if it was for self-protection because they live in an environment or a community where they feel uh, like they're going to be victimized and they don't feel as though the justice system will protect them, then they've gotta, they've gotta take those, those means themselves
0: right and then so addressing the circumstances in the community would lead to people more like that person we'll call him john would lead to more less john's carrying weapons right. if suddenly those communities became safer right. in the long term right. now i would of course if we're listening to or napolitano or lopez we have different definitions of or different tracks or theories for how we make those communities safer right um Throwing everyone, every male in prison in those communities isn't gonna help in my perspective. All right, two more. Of those arrested for illegal gun possession with an accompanying felony level offense, 80%, 87% of the accompanying felonies were nonviolent offenses, with drug law vi- violations accounting for the single largest category of 20%, 27%. So for the people that were arrested on possession of the illegal weapon and there was some kind of felony included with it, it was nonviolent. Um, And 27% of the time, nearly a quarter percentage of that time, it was for some kind of felony drug. So even when you hear the stat where we got them and they're they're also, we got them for some other felony, it's actually just drug possession.
1: It isn't actually for using it. Is that correct? Right. Right. And and the important thing, again, is is the way that Illinois law describes that behavior is uh, you are, uh, I think it's called armed violence is the term used. If you, are, if you commit a felony offense and you possess a firearm, um, that's armed violence. Even though most of us would assume that if you possess drugs and you also possess a gun, that there really wasn't any violence there, right? Uh, so again, the terminology we use from, from the standpoint of how our, our laws describe the behavior triggers in the public this idea of armed violence, meaning, oh, they were, they were out there shooting up the neighborhood. Well, no, it just means that they committed a felony which those of us in the field recognize are, are very broad and most of those felonies are not violent crimes. Uh, if you do those with a firearm, it's considered armed violence and you're subject to a much longer period of, of incarceration if you're convicted of that.
0: Okay, one last one. This is so, I haven't seen it, I am sad to say, but at least I'm doing it. None of this unfortunately has really made it into the zeitgeist or made it into the media. Right, this should have been reported on left, right, and center to push the discussion mm-hmm. and put in front of some people who love to spout off about gun violence and everything it's doing, and possession being, uh, 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 gun possession itself being a violent offense. I know the the uh, I don't like to quote him, but I will say fifty complaint. Cotton Zara is what I call him, our our FOP president who is about to be fired, I think, for his third attempt that they're trying to fire him. He, you know, someone was made the news about gun possession isn't a violent offense and he goes it's any second they're about to commit a shooting any second like well then shooting should be going down with all the people you're arresting why hasn't violence gone down from 2014 we should be in one of the safest cities in the country with these numbers Um, Frustrating. Okay, one last one. It's a little bit of a long one but I want to read it. 46% of those arrested for illegal gun possession between 2009 and 2019 had a felony, a prior felony conviction. Sounds mean, sounds like oh my god these are horrible felons. Well, let's dig a little deeper. Once again, this is why you do academic research, and you don't read the Tribune. Analysis of the subgroup indicates that most 69% had no prior conviction for a felony violent crime. Oh my God! So these are all just seventy percent. Seven out of ten are just they, they of the people that do have a felony. It's for it's for nonviolent stuff.
1: The the importance there is 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 one, a, a felon in possession of a firearm in Illinois is classified um, as a as a high level felony, which carries a mandatory prison sentence that's relatively lengthy. Um, A felon in possession of a firearm is also a violation of federal law, so you can be prosecuted federally for that. And again, it's one of those things that for the general public, when they hear a felon in possession, where where does their mind race? And often it races to the idea that this is a a murderer or a rapist or or a robber that's got a gun when, no, the the crime that made them a felon, um, in most instances, is a nonviolent crime. It's retail theft it's drug possession it's it's breaking into a car again breaking into a car without a person in it right so it's not it's not that so uh, again our our policies have been based on this way that we classify the behaviors and it leads to a lot of inaccurate assumptions by people as to what these individuals actually look like prior to us doing the research no one could could answer that question that's really why we wanted to answer it, is, is you know i i agree that someone with a prior conviction for a violent crime, you could consider them to be a violent offender, right? They've got something in their past, that documents that they've committed violence and been convicted. But until we determine if that's the majority or the minority of the people that we're talking about, we can't really have an educated discussion. And so it it does get into some of the nuance that unfortunately, a lot of people aren't willing to spend the time to think about. And that's felon in possession of a firearm doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. Armed violence does not mean what you think it means. Aggravated, unlawful use of a weapon isn't somebody going out and shooting up uh, a community. So.
0: Right, and this is a failure, ladies and gentlemen, of our Gen- Illinois General Assembly, because we shouldn't have laws that have names like that that don't mean what everyone thinks they're going to be. Right, that's just, um, I mean, because the criminal justice system, they may push those laws, but it's a General Assembly that passes those. We should, not, we should not have to be playing these games Um, Very frustrating. Okay, Uh, Dr. Olson, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on with us. Great research.
1: All right, thanks a lot.
0: Hello, everyone, we are back. So I hope you found that as fascinating as I thought it was in doing that interview. The results of the study are just amazing, right? Vast majority of people Arrested for gun possession are not violent. Um, it is for literally just possessing a gun. It is not committing a violent act and the propaganda you hear from the mayor, from the superintendent about everyone who has a gun or the, uh, cotton Zara, the FOP president. You can look on his website for his history on our website. You can look up, we wrote a report about him this summer it's all just propaganda it's pushing an agenda they want everyone they possibly can get the mayor the superintendent um, FOP president John Kannza who has 50 complaints in his history um, they want everyone they possibly can in jail in a, right because they're all scrambling to do whatever they can propaganda wise to reduce the numbers and that's all they're interested in we have a superintendent. We have a mayor. We have an FOP president. Uh, politicians. all uh, Lopez. Alderman Lopez. Alderman all Alderman Nelapolitano. who used to be a cop. Um, failed mayoral candidate and failed politician in every other office he's run for. Paul is pushing the same thing. Put them all away. All away. Everyone who possesses a gun. Violent felon. No. As you see, the data just does not back any of that up, period. This is rigorous research, independent research, transparent research. What more do you want? Ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, why wasn't the results of this research on the front page of the Tribune, on the front page of the Sun-Times? Leading every newscast. Why wasn't it put in front of the superintendent? Why wasn't the mayor's feet held to the fire? Why wasn't Alderman Lopez, Alderman Sposado, Alderman Napolitano? And that ilk of what is like basically alt-right politicians in Chicago. Why weren't, aren't their feet held to the fire and say, explain. Explain it. What do you say when this directly contradicts everything you talk about? What does it say? Mm-mm-mm. You're looking at Napolitano, and you're looking at Lopez, especially those two. What media do they do? They won't be on this show. They refuse to come Napolitano, I'm not sure if we've reached out to directly. I have definitely been in communication with Alden Lopez. No, no. He has blown us off. He will not show because he's scared. He doesn't want to have to take real questions about data and research and evidence. Where does he go? He goes to, on the national Fox News. Highly credible source. Him and Donald Trump and all the conspiracy theories about the vaccine. The insurrectionists. Right? People in Chicago got to start painting Lopez and Napolitano as that ilk. It's the only place they'll go talk on television is the the propaganda station that is Fox National News. It's ridiculous. Anyways. Thanks again to Dr. Olson. I really appreciate him taking the time. The research is amazing. And not in... Oh, my God, it's the most sophisticated, unbelievable research you can ever get. But they're laying bare the truth. They've got the data. They did the analysis. Now let's have a discussion. It looks like the Chicago media, not so interested in that discussion because they're just not pushing it. That's your damn job. That, the, the, the pushing that discussion is your job. Where is it? Remember, ladies and gentlemen, at the top of this broadcast, I talked about two pieces we published last week or a couple of weeks ago now on Superintendent Brown and the suspension he never told anyone about. The police board, the mayor, the superintendent, they've all been able to escape. Brown hasn't had to answer a damn question from the Chicago media about a suspension he had for lying multiple times uh, during an internal uh, misconduct investigation in Dallas. So. This type of research is being left out of the discourse about what to do about gun violence in Chicago. And that's a sin and it's being left out by the media. It's being left out by channel two, five, seven, nine and Fox. And it's also being left out by the trip and sometimes police reporters. Hell, the columnist, France family kind of wrote about this. Where the hell is it? But they'll have no problem putting a mic in front of Spizzato or Napolitano or Lopez anytime they open their damn mouth and not challenge a goddamn thing they say. You want to talk about why the atmosphere, the climate, the political climate is so horrible in Chicago? Because just like the National one, the facts don't matter. And in Chicago, unlike so much on the National, except for Fox, the media is not pushing the facts. Here's evidence. Here's Empirical analysis, independent empirical analysis, put it to them, make them answer questions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I will be back on Wednesday at 5.30 central. If you have any ideas for shows or people you want on the show, subject you want covered, hit us up at ChicagoJustice.org. You can drop it there and the, you can drop it in the comments of any of our social media and uh, we'll hope to include it in the show. All right, thanks everyone. I will see you on Thursday. I mean, on Wednesday at 530 Central.